into the Pasuk, right? Aber Hashem and Moshe. Hashem speaks to Moshe Acharei Mot, specifically after the death of Shnei B'nei Aaron, now, we know that this particular story of the death of Nadav and Aviyu has already been taught to us at the beginning of uh, Ishi of Parashat Shmi, uh, and it's now repeated here a second time. We need to understand and appreciate why this is so. Is everybody muting? Okay. Um, it's reasonable to conclude that um uh, it's reasonable to to conclude that the phrase qualifies what was taught to us already in Pashat Shmini. In Pashat Shmini, we were taught that um view brought an Aish Zara. They uh, engaged in a type of uh, worship of Akosh Baruch Hu, which was problematic on some level, Aish Zara. And as a result, they were they were punished and um, and they met their untimely end. Yeah, this particular phrase, yeah, gives us a certain uh, an almost a mitigated because the motivation of the of the was a uh, particular burning desire to come close to, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So let's try and look at a number of Mephorshim who, uh, who take this approach. And they see that Bukor Vatam, their wanting to come close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu was, uh, needs to be understood as, as, the, as the real reason as to what happened over here. In this, I'll just uh, share with you the, the a particular source you can see inside. But um, the Orachim Makadosh has a lengthy essay on this particular topic. And he has, uh, let's call it, um, three or four suggestions as to how to interpret the Pshat of the, of the Pasuk over here. Um, and um, in, uh, I would say, I think the second, the second suggestion that he has, um, I'll just find it and read it to you. But um, he, uh, he t- introduces us to a very, very... Uh, uh, a well-known idea, in a way, um, if you've uh, had a bit of background to it. And he says like this, he says, what happened with Nadav and Aviyu was, shenit karvu lifnei or ha'elyon bechibata kodesh u'bezeh meitu. Orachayim teaches us, or brings uh, into focus, a very uh, well-known, classic, Kabbalistic idea, and that is that the concept of mita, of death, uh, can take place in a number of different forms. Uh, we, uh, we hear of Aaron and Moshe's wish to die in a certain manner, the kiss of Akosh Baruch Hu. The Gemara um, teaches us about this concept of a, of a kiss that, uh, that we find in Baba uh, Batra Tetzain, I think. Baba Batra Tetzain teaches us this din of, uh, of this concept of a kiss of death. Akosh Baruch Hu, in a sense, it's the most comfortable way to go. It's uh, an exposure of Akosh Baruch Hu to your neshama. And when the neshama sees the light of Akosh Baruch Hu, it's such a strong magnetic force 
that it actually draws the neshama out of the body as it wants to cleave to the source of all sanctity, um, which is Akosh Baruch Hushchina. So Hashem, Hashem creates this proximity where He draws close to the individual, and uh, the individual's neshama is so drawn to the source of holiness from which it came in the first place. And therefore, the, the sanctity of Akosh Baruch Hushchina and the magnetic draw, the pull, um, to the neshama creates this, uh, the creates the parting of the neshama from uh, from the body. That's this principle over here um, called shenit karvu lifnei ora elyon bechibat hakodesh ubezeh meitu. Says Orachaim, v'hu sod anushika. This is what we call the the divine kiss of of death. Sheba meitim atzadikim that tzaddikim are privileged to, um, to part from this world via this method. Um, <clears throat> so this, is, this concept of nishika can, can be used to explain a number, a number of situations or a number of scenarios which we, uh, which we encounter in Midrash and in Gomorrah in Tanakh where we, under, where we sort of see people departing this world through this kind of, through this kind of medium. Um, the, death of, the death of Sarah Imenu, it's always one of those tragic stories where Sarah, after you know, waiting so long for a child, uh, you know, the exit strategy that Akash Baruch Hu used to allow her to depart this world seems almost like uh, so cruel in a way. And, uh, and we need to understand what happened there not so much in terms of the philosophy behind it, but according to this particular theory, we explain as follows. The famous Midrash tells us that the Satan showed her, um, she had some sort of a vision and apprehension of what was going on there on Haramoriah as Abraham Avinu was about to sacrifice Yitzchak. And uh, the Rashi quotes the Midrash there that when she apprehended this, this, this scenario of uh, the about-to-be-sacrificed son, um, so her neshama flew out of her body and she, and she died. And, and I, would, I would guess that our uh, understanding of that midrash normally, if, we, if we, we, we all heard about it, we learned about it in Haida already, but we almost think that it's a result of the shock of what she saw that her neshama departed. Uh, that's what happened. You know, she had such a shock and oh, I've waited so long for this child and now he's 37 years old and he, he's about to take over from Avram Avinu and he's, he's the continuity of everything and all of a sudden he's going to die. He, she sees the knife. Uh, she sees him bound up there. Uh, we, just, uh, we just did this stuff. We just did the, 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 the scene of how Yitzchak looked on the Mizbah was just described to us in the, in the Daf Yomi in, in Shabbos where the concept of Akedah, of how you tie, uh, of how you tied him up. So, you know, it wasn't that he's, his hands were bound together by rope and his feet were bound together by rope or he was tied down to the actual altar, but, but rather his hands, his hands were tied to his feet. Both hands were tied to both feet. Uh, he wasn't in a pretty position, but this allowed when you turned him over for the exposure of his neck completely. And, and this he would, uh, and, and Avram Avinu was about to shecht him. Using this particular approach that we've just described here, the Midrash tells us that she saw that he was, she, that he was about to be sacrificed. She died. And I always wondered this issue. Like, it should have said that she saw him sacrificed. And that 
shocked the hell out of her and she died. But the Midrash has this kind of an interesting description. She didn't see the sacrifice. The sacrifice never happened. If she would have hanged, if she would have just like, hold on a second, she would have been okay. So why, so why, did, why, did, why did she die? She just saw what was going on, but nothing happened. And the way the Midrash describes it, she saw that he was about to be sacrificed. So yeah, using this particular theme, uh, I've seen it quoted in the name of the Yismach Israel, who writes that um, Sarah Imanu's uh, whole entire life and her, 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 was, was, a, was a purified life in the presence of Akush Baruch Hu. She was one of those unbelievable um, tzaddikot that, that got to such a level that her will and Akush Baruch Hu's will were basically almost one. So 127 years, as we know well, was lived, you know, at, to the fullest that a human being could possibly do. You know, there, there's nobody who doesn't sin, but ultimately it was, it was on that level that she was holding. Her level of prophecy was greater than Avinus himself. And, and what does that mean? What, what does that mean, really? What it means is, is that these great people are so in tune with Akosh Baruch Hu that there's nothing more they want or that the Neshamas want is to cleave to Akosh Baruch Hu. They have to, in a sense, hold themselves back in our world uh, to continue functioning as a hybrid physical spiritual entity more because if they don't hold themselves back and they don't force themselves to, so to speak, continue to stay and work in our world, if they just let, let the Neshamas naturally navigate, they're so holy, the Neshama will leave automatically to cleave Takosh Baruch If Takosh Baruch comes close enough, if Kedusha, Shechina, comes close enough to these, le- these kind of Tzadikim, then Neshama will self-navigate out of their body and, they, and, they, and, they'll, and they'll pass away. So yeah, one could suggest that this is what happened to Sarah. The Midrash is, is exact. The Midrash is, it's not because of the shock that you saw Avram about to sacrifice Yitzchak, the continuity of the family and the child she had always wanted, etc. No, she was so inspired by the so-called Mesirut Nefesh of Yitzchak and the actual Mesirut Nefesh of Avram Avinu. The level of Kedusha that was generated by both Avram and Yitzchak in Avodat Hashem at that particular moment generated such a spiritual koyach that her neshama, her neshama wanted nothing more than to cleave to it. And therefore, just by seeing what they were doing, not the result of what they did, but seeing what they were doing was enough to open the stargate of spirituality that her neshama literally leapt out of her body to unite with the, the Kedusha and the Shechina that was there on Hara Moriah. And, as, and, and, and once the neshama leaves, once the neshama leaves, um, it, it's, it's, it's a very, very, very difficult challenge to get back. If you don't, if you don't have certain things in place, um, the, the self-meditation, if you will, of a person separating mind or neshama from matter to turn around and have that journey, that return journey back to your body is, is almost impossible or it's very, very, very difficult. And this is a way to understand Sarah Imanu in the, through the eyes of the Midrash being exact in the way the Midrash describes what happened. This type of nishika, this type of nishika um, was employed here and we can use it to describe Sarah Imanu's um, demise, demise as well. Another famous agarata that we could jump to quickly where we would use this theory to explain it 
um, is to jump to a chidush that I saw in the writings of the Pachad Yitzchak, attempting to explain that very strange Gemoron in Megillah Davzayin, which uh, takes us into that um, famous Sudat Purim of Rabbi Navzaira. We know the story well. They get so drunk that the Gemara uses the term that, uh, that he shechted Rabzaira, Rabbi shechted Rabzaira, and um, somehow he was able to get him back. He was able to be Mechaya Mesim. Okay. Uh, and uh, Rav Hutner wants to interpret what happened over there. How kind of a strange story is that? Especially he survived the next year. He came to him and he said, you want to come for Purim again? And I uh, couldn't understand why he was so reticent to go back for, for the second Mechaim. Um, Rav Hutner has this, uh, he uses this principle to try and explain what it means to Shecht. You know, he wants to he wants to be machadish that it wasn't that he shechted him, took a knife, and actually just slit him his throat physically. That's even though the word shecht means that, but he but he wants to try and explain that the the shechting that took place be, between these two people was a kind of exposure to the kaya of Torah Shabbat on its highest level. And if a person learns, if we can just use the modern term of meditation, if you learn in such a way that allows the, the opening of the stock gate of Kedusha and your exposure to the Shekhinah at the end of it, the, the light on that end is so powerful and the Shroma can't help but touching base with that. And therefore it leaves the confines of our physical being and it leaves to that light of Torah which was exposed by uh, Rabbi teaching him uh, the, 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 the sodot, the secrets of uh, the Kabbalistic, whatever you want to explain them, teaching him and exposing him to the secrets of Torah, almost to a type of prophecy, if you will, uh, a, a commune with the divine. And that stargate was opened there in their particular Suda. And that's how uh, uh, we, the, the perspective of Hutna developers is to explain how, the, how he died or how they both went through this and he was able to navigate them uh, back again. This is the kind of nishika that, uh, that, we, that we can use to explain this particular idea. What is more, what is more well known to us um, is um, the Maharshah's attempt to use this uh, theory. He uses, it, he uses it beautifully to explain a very famous uh, Gemara that, um, that we found in Chagiga Daf Yudarada Mubais. There in Chagiga, we know the famous story, story of Arba Nechnasul of Bardais. You have uh, the four great Rabonim who, um, who, who exposed themselves to paradise, to an, an, an area, if you will, an experience, a spiritual experience, which is so powerful that it's very, very dangerous um, if you do not know how to navigate uh, that particular spiritual world. And so you have Ben Azai, who, who Ben Zoma, Ben Azai, they both travel through the Stargate with... Um, Acher, Revolution of Nabuya and Rabbi Akiva, and all four of them go into this paradise area, and uh, Ben Azai hits its mate, Ben Azai literally dies. What does it mean, dies? Same kind of idea. The Neshama was, was, was so spiritually fine-tuned to, um, to be drawn to spirituality. We know that Gemara tells us about Ben Azai, he didn't want to get married, because, you know, marriage and, and, the, and the subsequent... Uh, uh, family life draws away from pure Torah learning, and uh, he felt he was married to Torah. And uh, the Gemara discusses if his if his approach to life 
is a legitimate approach. In the end, the Rambam tells us that if you have such a personality like, like Benazai's, uh, it is legitimate, but it's not for uh, the faint-hearted. You've got to be somebody really genuinely on that level to, to excuse yourself from certain mitzvot like Pruvu because you are married to Torah and your whole entire being is connected to Torah. But you see that Ben-Azai, just by having this background that we know about him, Ben-Azai is, in a sense, almost a victim of his own success. He's, he's primed to, uh, to respond to a type of opportunity to get born into uh, the spiritual world. And, and this is what it means over here. Yeah, he felt maybe, even, you know, almost like a spiritual suicide, if you can use a suicide, such a negative word. But, but this is exactly what, what comes out of here, that Benazai probably went through that Stargate, having in mind, look, you know, I've purified myself enough to go through, and uh, I'm, I'm staying on the other side. So that's what it means, Benazai hits it from eight. He looked at the Shekhinah, and uh, he, that's it. He, he was drawn there, and he had no intention of going back down to his body. I'm just presupposing that this possibly what was in his mind. You got Ben Zoma who became a sugar. He just, uh, he just, he just lost it. He, he, he saw things that were taking place in Shamaim and on the dimension that he was exposed to, they would get resolved. Um, you know, he, he saw that in Shamaim, there were certain people who were, who, who were dying and beyond comprehension. You know, all the tragedies that we've experienced in Jewish history. You know, he saw a Shoah, he saw a Holocaust, he saw a, Yom Azikaron, he couldn't really put it all together. He wasn't, he wasn't far enough into, Akush Baruch never let him go far enough. He never got far enough to be able to resolve these things. And therefore, uh, he, he, uh, he, he literally became sugar. He came back, but he came back totally affected in a very negative way. Couldn't resolve, couldn't reconcile, and uh, left him completely mentally re retarded. Acher, um, or Revelation Ben Abuya, he was on a, uh, a different level, you know, to the others. And he was also affected. And as you know well, he becomes, in a sense, an apicorus. He also is exposed to what uh, Benzoma saw. But he didn't go uh, mashuga. He didn't, he didn't become mentally affected like that. He became philosophically affected. And uh, he, be he became an acher, another person, uh, an apicorus, a heretic of sorts. And Rabbi Akiva... Rabbi Akiva was able to navigate his way in and, uh, and his GPS took him back out. And he was able to see things, not sure what he saw, but he was able to go in there and come out, uh, come out unaffected. Uh, the Marsha makes these comments on this particular Gemara um, and it allows us to understand over here that none of an view um, can be seen as uh, the forerunner the forerunners of this particular experience, this idea that they wanted to that they wanted to offer up or, or serve a Baruch Hu in a certain way, which was which Baruch Hu himself, they had no yaksha. They but they but through their own commitment and elevated state, they were able to work out their own nusachat villa, if you want. This was part of their this was part of their their character. Their character was that they were. They, they were mamash kadoshim. They were very, very holy people. And one of the major challenges for holy people is living in a world which isn't so holy. And so therefore, when you tell people kadoshim to you, and you say, well, how am I supposed to be kadosh in such a, in such a world? You know, these, 
these great people have a very hard time living here. They develop their, their ethical personalities to such a level uh, that, that, that this world insults them. The world makes it very difficult for them, you know, to, to live here. And they spend their time purifying their souls through Avodat Hashem to get to a level by which, ironically, they may want to leave. And the more they become engaged in religious worship, uh, the irony is, is that that worship takes them further away from the world in which we live to the world in which Akosh um, Baruch resides. The, this concept of holy people having a hard time with our tainted physical world uh, can get to you on such a level that it brings you to uh, this fatal ecstatic state where you want to leave. It's a spiritual suicide, if we can call it that. Uh, you, you feel that it's time for you to uh, make use of that stargate and uh, you've grown uh, to a level of holiness, which is, let's call it ultimate in terms of human terms. And it's now time for, uh, for a person to, to leave. Uh, now, whether we can state that none of an of you planned this from A to Z, let's, let's try and take that. Let, let's try and take that line of thinking. I can't prove it to you, but so many things, so many aspects of Midrash trying to explain what their life was about become clear through this, through this approach. What did, did Nanavanaviyu do wrong? Where, where was their mistake? And so we have many opinions as to, as to what they did. We hear that they refused to get married and subsequently refused to have children. Based on what I've just uh, expressed to you, you can appreciate this, that if you're going to get married and you're going to have children, it means that there's going to be a certain level of self-sacrifice from hardcore spiritual Hashem. And you're going to have to come into the world where there's Tsar Gidulbanim. You know, there's going to be a certain amount of things you have to do. Someone's got to wash the dishes. Someone's got to make sure the kids are, are, are having chinuch. Someone's got to discipline them. Someone's got to take care of them. There's a, anybody who makes that transition from, you know, life as a yeshiva bocha, where you like, that you've got to leave that world and you've got to now come into the world of marriage and you've got to take, you actually got to invest with someone else in a whole life together. Of, of course, it's going to be a, uh, you know, there's going to be a challenge there. One's got to work out. Okay, so how much time am I sacrificing from, from learning if you're so, so inclined? And in the end of the day, for people who are in that world, that becomes a, a, a major challenge. Yeah, not even of you did not want to get married. They, they didn't want to have children. What, what they're setting themselves up for? Why are they, 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 they're, like ben, they're like Ben Zoma. They're saying, listen, or Ben Azai, ben Azai. they're saying, I don't want to, I, you know, we are totally honing our, our spiritual personalities to a level of religiosity, which is beyond uh, any, any involvement in the world in which we live. The world in, the world in which we live is, is, is trouble. And our, our main goal is to purify ourselves to such a level that we can escape it and join Akash Baruch Hu full time. Look at other Midrashim say uh, that you might uh, be familiar with that, um, they, they refused to wear, wear the big day kuhuna. So that the big day kuhuna, you know, to go into the Kodesh HaKodashim is like a, you know, it's, you need the uniform. Without the uniform, uh, you, you know, you chayav mitah. This, this is a major issue. Again, it's not too hard to, uh, to develop this idea by saying that 
clothes in general, when you think about the concept of clothes, we taught by so many of our Mephoshim that clothes represent a kind of a, uh, a shield, if you will, uh, between where human being is and where the world of spirituality is. And in order to, uh, you know, before Adam and Chava sinned, there was no need for clothes. But after the Begida, after the treachery of Adam and Chava vis-a-vis Akosh Baruch's mitzvah, not to eat from the Eitzadat, so yeah, there's a, there needs to be a way of being, to, being able to, 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 to deal with the, the situation that's been created here. Now, Kosh Baruch Hu teaches Adam, uh, maybe he gave him a natural inclination to search for a way to cover himself up uh, and, to, and to like, you know, somehow hide his shame within his begadim, within his, within his, within his clothes. And um, yeah, quite possibly, we start to see that uh, our own clothes are a, are a shield against, against immodesty. And, uh, the, you know, if we, if we cover up appropriately, then it allows us access to, or access to, to holy things. If we don't cover up, we're not allowed access to holy things. And we could normally think of it as, as a way of, you know, oh, it's immodest and now we're now modest. But it's interesting that if we go a little bit further with this idea, we can say that sometimes, yeah, you can be covered, but you need certain specific begadim, which don't only cover your immodesty, but they also protect you from the influence of spirituality, which uh, you are going to expose yourself to. And uh, I'd like to suggest this, that going into the Kodesh HaKodashim, a person needs, the Kohen Gadol has license to go there on Yom Kippur. But, but even though he's in there, he needs a certain protection, because as he's going to bring and smoke up the Ketoret, HaKosh Baruch Hu Shechina is going to rest there, and he's going to be exposed to the Shechina like he's never ever been exposed before. Only once a year can be that, and there can be a danger. There can be a danger that if you're worthy, and even if you're not worthy, if you're not worthy for sure, you'll, you'll, you'll depart as a, as a punishment or an inability to even have a harem of containing the spirituality. How can, it be a, how can a non-worthy person be in the same space as, a, as, as the Shekinah on that level when it's not contained? So possibly we could suggest that the Big Day Kahuna aren't, don't only um, allow you to become a modest person in that environment, but they also represent a pr- protection that the, that the Shekinah doesn't hit you so hard that you won't be able to come back down to earth again. And so therefore not wanting to wear big day kahuna is another way of, of Midrashay Chazal teaching us that not even a view developing their personalities and possibly, possibly plan their approach inside the Kodesh HaKodashim in such a way that they weren't coming back. Another Mufarash teaches us that they were drunk. And he has an interesting a discussion in its own right, and that is using external stimuli, you know, to elevate spiritual enhancement or spiritual uh, experiences. Is this age uh, zara? Is it allowed or is it not allowed? And we know that, you know, you can't have a lachaim before you go into Abodat Beit Amigdash. You, you, you're playing with fire there, quite literally. And so here as well, they're getting drunk. They got no big takahuna. They're not marrying. They're not. They're not. Uh, they're not. They're not having children. Um, Another explanation that's given that they uh, they didn't show enough respect to Moshe Rabbeinu, you know they were already sort of like, and Moshe Rabbeinu recognizes that they on a spiritually they're probably on a higher level than him, but but it's only in one dimension of spirituality, it's 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 not the you know you can have a person on a on a on a on a team who's the best player, but you've also got the most valuable player. They're very different. Sometimes a person can excel in one area of genius, but our world doesn't need one area of genius. Our world needs a package. 
our, our world needs somebody uh, to lead it who's able to really balance things. Not even of you, you can see, by the way, we are allowing ourselves to describe what happened here. They lack spiritual balance. They lack this idea. Nabushet who writes uh, on next week's, on oh, this week, uh, on the second part of Pasha Kedoshim, uh, you know, Kedoshim to you, Rashi quotes a Midrash, a uh, uh, saying of Chazal, that you should be holy, you know, Neymar Bahakel, you know, to sit in front of a great multitude of people. And I think it's, if you're honest, and if I'm not mistaken, I'll, I know I have it in my notes, I must look it up again. I was just came to mind while I was uh, saying this over, that he says, Neymar um, Bahakel means real Kedusha is within a Kehila. You want to know if a person is really a Kadosh? Uh, it means he's got to be able to operate the Kedusha within a community of people, the Kehila. And you know, you, you've got to work a way to, to, to bring the Kedusha of the Shina down into the world in which we live. This is a, this is a very big yesod, which um, criticizes severely the, the philosophical approaches of Nadav and Aviyu, um, who, in a way, on purpose, look to use becoming super religious, super frum as a way of justifying their non-involvement in our world. And it's a criticism, not only of uh, people within Yiddishkeit, but in, within all religions. If, uh, if, if your religiosity does not bring bracha to the tzibur, then your religiosity is tainted. Uh, you know, Yiddishkeit is not a monastic religion. It, 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 uh, it judges people by the way they balance the unbelievable levels of a Kedusha they can achieve and the ability to work with those levels of Kedusha within a human context. And this is, uh, this is ultimately a, uh, an idea which I saw, interestingly enough, um, I remember this idea. I was once traveling uh, to um, my very good friend in Ranana for Shabbos many years ago when I was a Bokhi in Yeshiva and uh, Chabad Chosid was like handing out pamphlets at the Tachan Gazit, and he gave me a, a, a sikha by the Rebbe and it happened to be Pasha Achremot. And uh, I read, uh, I read the, the, the Mamar before catching the bus. If I read it on the bus, you don't know what happens. But uh, before I got on the bus, I read, I read the Mamar. And the Rebbe has this, uh, this idea in, um, in beautiful terms. He describes how, uh, you know, he, he makes a similar point to the Marsha. And that is that the Gemara that we spoke about, Arba Nikhlus of the Paradise, it's interesting how the Gemara describes Rabbi Akiva's journey. It doesn't just say Rabbi Akiva Yatsab Shalom that he came back in peace. It says Nichnas B'Shalom Yatsab Shalom, and the Rebbe has Mechadesh a beautiful idea um, to to explain and appreciate this uh, this phrase in the Gemara. He says simply, like we've been saying until now, that the tachlis of, uh, of 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 Am Yisrael Bichlal is to is to create a, a dwelling place for Kosh on this earth, and it's therefore. A, a mitzvah upon everybody, no matter how holy you are, to engage with people in this world, and and therefore your you uh, you need to you, religious people who struggle with this need to realize that this is a tachlas in Baruch Hu. And he asks an interesting question. He says, "So how does how does a person who's so spiritually inclined, how does one protect oneself um, in in developing a religious approach?" which does not um, take you away from the world in which you live. How do you stop yourself doing it? And uh, if I remember the Sikha correctly, the Rebbe says as follows. He says, so much depends 
on your approach from the beginning of one's journey. The kavanah that you have when you start the journey is going to tell you what's going to happen at the end. And therefore, as follows. Rabbi Akiva didn't just yatsa b'shalom because he was great enough to absorb the kedusha on the madrega that they exposed themselves to, and then his GPS got him back. It wasn't that. Why was it that? It's because nichnas b'shalom. Because he, Rabbi Akiva understood, really, Rabbi Akiva understood the tachlis of every single year, no matter how holy you are, no matter how much, no matter what level of kedusha you can attain, is to bring it back, and, the, and that avodah of a kosh the level of that you that you experienced, has to somehow be invested in in Amisrael as a as a tzibur, and because he knew that from the very beginning, there was no kind of a like I was suggesting before that perhaps not even of you didn't even have that kavana to come back. Rabbi Akiva, exactly the opposite. The Kedusha that I'm going to experience needs to be harnessed in such a way that it comes down to create a Dira Batachdonim over here and to direct, to direct and then elevate the status of, of Klal Yisrael. It's, uh, it's, almost, it's almost a posture thing you'd expect because we live on such a level that it, that it makes sense. But it's like Moshe Rabbeinu himself. How come Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Shomayim and he came back down? That was not, yeah, he came back down. So what none of an are going to say, he came back down to teach us how to get back up. But, but in principle, this is the, this is the problem with, with such, an, uh, such an approach. And that is that they never had the Havamina to come back down. And that's why he went in and he came back down because his whole approach was from the very beginning that Yavodat Hashem needs to be a broker for the Tzibur. It needs to be injected, invested in, in the Tzibur so that all of Kalisar can be elevated, you know, to uh, through the level of kedusha that you were exposed to, that you uh, were able to to attain. And in the words of Dora Chaim, I'll just read it to you. Dora Chaim says it so beautifully. He says, <clears throat> "Sorry, just reading it." Yeah. So he says. Yes, they, 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 they died through this Nishika of Akosh Baruchu. And then he says like this, he says, the difference between, let's call it Tzadikim with the right approach and Tzadikim with the wrong approach is that Akosh Baruchu comes down towards the Tzadik. Whereas the Eiluheim need Karvula, they expose themselves to it. That's what it means. And that's why Dorachaim, he's got such a lengthy essay here. That's why he just says, and then it says, you know, the Vav, is, a, the Vav is trying to tell you that's why they died, because they. Uh, they they elevated themselves almost with this, with this purpose in mind that this particular this particular um, this particular episode or event of the the Hanukkah Mishkan was a perfect opportunity for them to exercise what their whole entire lives are all about uh, a spiritual a spiritual elevation uh, beyond beyond description and so what we what we've tried to do with this Mahalach is the is to is to um, give expression to an idea uh, where all of us have to really appreciate that as hard as it is, especially for those who are blessed with such a 
uh, took us such a, uh, a, a thirst for learning or for spirituality that um, there's got to be a way for the Tzibur to access that, to be influenced by that. And uh, yes, you can, as I'm talking, you can really, in your mind, you can see what kind of a, a machloket in Hashkafot there are uh, among our greatest leaders as to how to, how to express that balance. You know, between various different approaches, you can see how, how different Rabbaim, Hasidic Rebbe's, Rasha Yeshiva, Gdoilim, they've all got to deal with this. They've all got to find a balance of how to um, filter out of, as, as much of the world as they can in order to allow Kedusha um, to be exposed to them. At the same time, they've got to then be able to take that Kedusha and allow it to, to, to make its way back to elevate um, and refine the world in, in which we live. And, uh, and therefore, uh, this, this Mahalach, this approach allows us to, I think, have a unifying thread through all the different opinions that we have in Chazal as to um, why Narav and Avihu died. I once uh, heard in the name of Rav Soloveitchik, uh, I think Rav Lichtenstein once said it over, that uh, when you see that there are 10 reasons in a Midrash why something happened, it means None of, none, none of them work on their own. In other words, it's, we're not 100% sure what's going on. You know, there are 30 plus she taught us to why Moshe Rabbeinu died after the episode of Maimar River. When you have 30 different approaches in the Rishonim, you must know we haven't got it. So, or on the other hand, each approach teaches us something, uh, something unique. And so, yeah, trying to find a unifying thread to, to wrap up all of these ideas as to say they're all saying the same thing. And they could all be right. They're all different approaches of what happened to Nadav and Aviyu. So let's, let's just summarize again. Parashat Shmini tells us that Nadav and Aviyu died because they offered up Aish Zara. It was a religious experience that they, they were the architect of and it didn't have the Heksh of Akosh Baruch Hu. As a result, they died. The simple explanation is they were punished and therefore they died. That simple explanation is challenged by the repetition of our parasha, our pasuk, the opening pasuk, where we are told that they died because we know Vayamutu, it already tells you Achraimot and it tells you before they died. Why do you need Vayamutu? Why do you need this explanation? How, how does that work? Our theory through, uh, through the eyes of all the Mephoshim that we've, we've quoted um, is to try and show through the Rechaim, through the Marsha, through, uh, through um, Rav Hutner, through the Rebbe, and that is that is an approach that all of us need in life we, our lives should always have this compass you know what's north true north is we all have to have a desire to come close to some people are blessed with an innate nature that makes that desire so much more acute than the average individual and they are blessed. They are blessed to be able to be drawn to spirituality. However, because Baruch Hu challenges every single human being, and therefore even those people who are blessed that Hashem comes naturally to them, but in all areas of life, something will come naturally to you. And if it does, you have to really realize that there's a danger in overshooting, uh, in overshooting the mark. And spiritual people have this major challenge that they uh, cannot deal with a world which is a uh, hybrid in nature. It has physical and spiritual. It has Kedusha and Tumah. It has all these opposites, you know, woven together 
you know, in this arena for us to, to live our lives through. It's something that's unnatural to them. It's something that's almost hateful to them because it's such a contradiction in terms and they can't deal with it. And therefore their whole lives, they're working to somehow work their way around this. And there's a difference between working your way around it and working your way out of it. Uh, to work your way around means to develop a theme that you can go through it, you can, you can, you can survive intact, and you can bring people with you on your, on your elevated journey. You know, to get out of it is um, a, a tremendous feat in spirituality, to get out of it, to completely divorce yourself. You have to be of incredible discipline and incredible level of holiness. But to get out of it is not why Kosh Baruch put us here. And therefore, uh, uh, to start a spiritual journey which will divorce you from an ability to affect your tzibur, your family, your, this, this level of Avodat Hashem has gone too far. It may, it may be sanctioned for certain unique individuals. You know, a, a Benazai, a Benzoma, it, it may be sanctioned to a certain level, but it, it's definitely not the recipe that Akash Baruch Hu has given for, uh, for, the, for the leadership of Klal Israel, which is going to talk to every single individual in Klal Israel. Uh, it's possible that some of the unique individuals are there to show how great you can be in certain areas, but 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 this is not a, the most valuable player. It's a it's a unique contribution in a certain area, and they've always got to watch themselves. And not even a view were of such a character. They uh, they were brought up um, in the same in the house of Aaron in Aaron Akain, and they were they were exposed to Matan Torah at Sinai like 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 no one else was, other than uh, Moshe and Aaron. As we know, they were involved. They were sort of on a, a level much higher. Already at Sinai, the Midrash tells us that this, this approach of theirs was evident. They, they disregarded this idea that one shouldn't have a lechaim and shouldn't eat while you are in the midst of, of receiving Torah from Sinai. They, they, they sort of wanted somehow, we have to work out exactly how to explain what they were doing there at that point in time. But, but it seems through the Midrash of Chazal, that they already incurred, they already incurred, uh, if you can call it a death penalty, they already incurred it there at Mahmud at Sinai. That's uh, part of the Orachim's first essay as to, as to what happened to them. But just using the idea that they were higher than everybody else, and already there, they, 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 they demonstrated certain problems. But, but the result and the exit strategy that Akush Baruch Hu, uh, it's almost like Akush Baruch Hu, Already done them limiter. He already said these people are gonna are gonna commit spiritual suicide. Already at that point, it's just a matter of time when it's gonna happen. Now, Kosh Baruch Hu, uh, worked out that this this is gonna be the exit strategy, and so through the Kamata Mishkan, that's the, you know the Hanukata Mishkan. That's when that's when it happened. And so we have to learn from them. They are uh, religiously extreme people who who took religiosity to a level which uh, which. Um, Force or cause them to ignore and uh, look at the world that Kosh Baruch Hu created with disdain, and their whole goal was to leave it. And uh, even though it takes such spiritual genius to get there, but it isn't what Kosh Baruch Hu wanted. And therefore, when these uh, when people of this greatness do go through that stargate and expose themselves to to that level of spirituality, the neshika comes down, and it's uh, it's not so much a punishment. In fact, it's not a punishment. It's a it's a it's a cause and effect. Uh, it's it's a result of, of exposure to that level of spirituality, and since you don't have, like the rapper says, the kavona to come back because you never went in there with that kavona in the first place, then you aren't protected with that idea 
that encompasses all holy thoughts of a, of a person. I've got to become holy to serve the tzibur. I've got to become holy to affect the tzibur, however you want to do that. But if you don't have that recipe in mind, then to find your way out of the Stargate, you're going to get lost up in Shamaim, and that's what it means. And so that's the lesson that we learn from Nadav and Aviyu. That is a, a beautiful mahalach to explain uh, all these different midrashim, who they were, what they were, what they were trying to achieve. At the same time, we also learn from here how to explain certain strange descriptions of uh, uh, in, in Midrash with people dying, um, like the story of Rabban Rabzaira, like the, uh, um, the myth of Sarai Meinu. And um, there's, uh, I just saw over here, I was looking at earlier, where did I see it? Ah, yeah, uh, in the writings of Ratzadok, in the writing of Ratzadok, he wants to explain, we'll conclude with this. Uh, Rab Tzadok HaKohen wants to explain the same idea uh, to give us an appreciation of Rabbi Akiva. And we can join it up. We can join it up with the way we've been working with Rabbi Akiva uh, until now. Uh, through, the eyes, uh, through the eyes of the Maharsha and the Rebbe, etc., we quoted the Arba Nikhon Pardes, and we saw that Rabbi Akiva was the hero of the story. He was the one to achieve ultimate spirituality or the greatest level of spirituality and uh, specifically come back down and engage the tzibur in, uh, in such a way. So yeah, let's look at the uh, Tzadok's Chirush here to appreciate what the Gemara tells us, the well-known story of Rabbi Kiva's uh, end. You know, he has been tortured to death and uh, he says, and with the word Echad, his, his soul ascends. Now, it's interesting. Um, Rabbi Tzadok wants to suggest that Rabbi Akiva had this level of emuna every time he said Shema. So w- w- whenever he became that great Rabbi Akiva, from that point on, he's, he, when he said Shema, he said Shema. He had to work so hard, he had to work so hard that when he said Shema and accepted the Kabbalah, Omachu Shemaim, he had to, he had to like work on himself to Nichnas B'Shalom so he could be Choser B'Shalom. Because when he said Shema, his neshama was exposed to the spirituality of what the Kedusha of Shema brings through the ultimate emuna that he would have in Akosh Baruch Hu. So every time that he said Shema, Rabbi Akiva had the same thing. He had to bring, but he had to bring himself back. This time, Rabbi Tzadok, this is what happened. The Gemara describes Rabbi Akiva wasn't killed by the Romans. Rabbi Akiva wasn't killed. He was tortured to near death. And in our simplistic way of understanding, yes, they killed him. But that's not what the Gemara says. The Gemara says that he died before they killed him. They thought they killed him. They didn't kill him. They tortured him. They tortured him. They tortured him to such a level, Rabbi Akiva realized that every single day he said Shema, every single night he said Shema, he's still going to be Nichnas B'Shalom to be Yotzei B'Shalom. He's tough kid, he's over here. And Rabbi Akiva realized that this is the end of his journey. He has no more tough kid to fulfill. He's done it all here on earth. Then he didn't have to go Nichnas B'Shalom. He could go, he, he could go, he could go there straight. And therefore, when he said the last Echad, he allowed his Neshama to be exposed to the Kedusha of HaKosh Baruch Hu through this great Masirut Nefesh of, of, of what he went through. And his Neshama joined HaKosh Baruch Hu, and he passed onto that world before the Chazisha Romans had a chance to, what we call, finish him, finish him off. In conclusion, we would say that this particular sod, this idea, this fundamental approach, um, finds a, a really, really respondent chord in Pasha Achraimot. 
the, the death of Navadav and Aviyu seems to have nothing to do with uh, Pasha Achremot because Pasha Achremot is Moshe Rabbeinu teaching uh, Aaron Akoen uh, the protocol of Avodat Yom Kippurim. And that's this particular Bezot Yavu Aron Kodesh. This is the Pasuk that we're talking about here. Bezot means in Yom Kippur, when you go into the Kodesh HaKodashim, you know, you, you, you've, got to go in, you've got to go in with, uh, with certain spiritual, philosophical, physical protection. You've got, to have the, you've got to have the right big day kahuna. You have to have the right approach. This Bukhar Vatam Lifna Hashem Vayamutu is so apt because Aron Akoin is going to the Kodesh HaKodashim on Yom Kippur. And he, he's there in front of HaKodesh Baruch Hu. Now, if you were face-to-face, so to speak, with HaKosh Baruch Hu, for I don't know how long he was in there. And it wasn't that long he was in there. But, you know, he had to smoke up the Ketorah. Once the Ketorah smoke's gone, okay, listen, you know, there's a certain point he has to leave. So, so you know, what, what would you ask HaKosh Baruch Hu for? Now, when we read our Avodat Yom Kippurim, and we ask ourselves, we read in the Machzor, what did, what did he ask for? I mean, it's almost laughable. It's ridiculous what he asked for. There's like, I don't know, 50 different expressions of physical well-being in our world. You know, we get all those, all, I love bass, goes through all the words, awesome, you know, all these words are from there. Every single expression throughout all the I love bass of what physical uh, well-being is in this world. He never asked, he never asked about uh, anything spiritual there. He just asked, of course, Baruch should, should give Am Yisrael and, you know, in the world, uh, you know, bounty. It's, a, it's an interesting contrast. You'd expect there to be so much spiritual bakasha there. But in the end, maybe that's this point over here. When you go, Bezot, you have Aron HaKodesh. Bezot, Aron, when you go into the Kodesh HaKodeshim, you have to realize that the whole purpose of you going in there is to elevate yourself, is to experience, to expose yourself to the power of HaKodesh Baruch Kedusha for one purpose, to come out of the Kodesh HaKodeshim, Beshalom Belivega, to come out in order to elevate the Tzibur in such a way, that way you won't be harmed. And this is the beauty of the Avodah, of Yom Kippurim, that it has a nichnas b'shalom. You go in there with a certain purpose, that whatever Kedusha you absorb there, you come and you share it and you elevate the Tzibur on the way out. Bezot, Aaron, HaKodesh, Aaron should come in there. We should be zoichet to have an Aaron HaKoyen serve on our behalf in a newly rebuilt Beit HaMidash, in such a way that... The Abodat of the Kohen Gadol should be Bishalom Belofega. Wishing you a great Shabbos. Lovely to see you all again. Call to. Shkoyah, Shkoyah, Kuchabas.